It's Thursday, March 9th. Today's WBFO brief was recorded around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. Here's Jay Moran. Details are now in place for Friday's funeral proceedings for Jason Arno, the 37-year-old Buffalo firefighter who lost his life last week in a Main Street fire. The public should expect rolling street closures starting at 9 tomorrow morning when the funeral procession leaves Amagon Funeral Home at Delaware and West Ferry Street and heads south toward downtown by making a pass of Engine 2, Arno's professional home at Virginia and South Elmwood Avenue. The funeral begins at 10 at St. Joseph's Cathedral, where a state proclamation honoring Arno will be presented. Sponsored by State Senator Tim Kennedy, it was backed by Senators Rob Ort and Patrick Gallivan, who took the legislative floor to share how friends and families have been uh, recalling Jason Arno. And no matter the different things that he did in life, people commented on the vigor that he put into it, on the heart that he put into it, how he cared about the people around him, and how he made everyone around him better and every situation better. While the general public will not be allowed inside the cathedral for the funeral, today's wake is open to all from 2 until 8. Remote parking locations near Amagon Funeral Home have been set up to facilitate the expected large gathering. Delaware Avenue will be closed from West Ferry to West Utica today from 1230 to 10. A large outdoor screen at West Eagle and Franklin Streets will be erected so the public can view Friday's funeral, which is expected to run from 10 until noon tomorrow. Conservative commentator Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire is set to speak at the University of Buffalo tonight. However, students, alumni, professor, and community members are speaking out against his visit. WBFO's Emily Watkins reports. Student clubs bring speakers to campus every day to talk about a wide variety of issues. Young Americans for Freedom, a national network of conservative student clubs, is known for bringing conservative speakers to campus, including at UB. But senior political science major Alice LaCroix says her concern with YAF bringing Michael Knowles to campus isn't about his politics. I think that on a college campus, there has to be a place for hyperpartisanship because you have to experience that and learn how to deal with it because that is the real world. With that being said, hyperpartisan conversations, there's a difference between a regular hyperpartisan conversation and inviting a speaker who perpetuates hateful rhetoric. LaCroix is among many connected to UB who feel Knowles should not speak on campus because of what he said at CPAC last weekend. Transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. Having hyperpartisan clubs is one thing. Having them invite speakers that perpetuate hate speech is a different thing. And the concern isn't just hate speech. It's what hate speech can trigger. The really deep issue here is that this guy is inciting stochastic terrorism. Heidi Jones is a UB Law School alum who is queer and has been researching local extremism for years. Stochastic terrorism is when a group is publicly demoralized, which then triggers someone to do something violent. With stochastic terrorism, it is predictable language will trigger action, but it can't be predicted how, when, or by who. The TOPS shooting is an example of stochastic terrorism in that people gave it and created an environment in which he thought that was okay, that that was a desirable action. So when Michael Knowles comes into town and says, we need to eliminate trans people, 
then he's creating that environment where stochastic terrorism becomes a real possibility. I don't want to see trans kids at UB shot up because they're trans. Likewise, Michael Rembis, an associate professor of history at UB, who also leads the Center for Disability Studies, explains the danger of this language, which many have called out online as genocidal. You don't have to study the Holocaust or other genocides to understand that that's, that's really troubling language. And, and I mean, we could say the same thing about, you know, the history of disability and the history of eugenics. I mean, those were earlier efforts, you know, in the 19th and 20th century to institutionalize people, to remove them from society, to perform various operations, to try to, quote, cure or fix them, you know. And so in light of that historical context, saying that you think that something or someone should be eradicated from public life is a very, very serious assertion. Rembus and his colleagues penned a letter to the president of UB calling for the cancellation of Knowles' talk. The university sent an email to students this week, quote, we must support the constitutionally protected democratic principles of the First Amendment. The First Amendment to the Constitution protects speech no matter how noxious the content. WBFO reached out to UB's YAF club but did not hear back. WBFO has also heard from students that some plan to protest the event. LGBTQ student clubs will be doing their own programming throughout the day to focus their energy on their community rather than drawing attention to Knowles. Emily Watkins, WBFO News. Well, some recent off-the-cuff comments by Governor Kathy Hochul on whether she might support a tenant's rights measure known as the Good Cause Eviction Law caused a stir among advocates and landlords. But a spokesman for the governor says don't read too much into it. WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt reports. Governor Hochul has proposed in her budget an ambitious housing plan. It would launch the building of up to 800,000 new homes over the next few years. The Housing Committee chairs in the Senate and the Assembly say they'd like to see the good cause eviction legislation be part of that housing package. The measure would require landlords to justify rent increases of greater than 3 percent and would give tenants the power to challenge evictions that they believe are arbitrary, retaliatory, or discriminatory. Hochul has been noncommittal about the proposal, but at an event in Rochester on Tuesday where she was listing steps she wants to take to increase affordable housing in New York, she seemed to tell an audience member that she is considering the idea. Housing for sure, which is why we have a very aggressive housing plan on the books. And It's on our list, too. The questioner was hard to hear, and Hochul's press secretary, Hazel Crampton-Hayes, says the governor did not fully catch the question. Crampton-Hayes says the governor's position has not changed and that the good cause eviction measure is not part of her housing plan. But she says the governor is open to talking to the legislature about any topic. Tenants' rights advocates say they'll keep pushing, but landlords' groups say the measure would be an unfair burden to them and would work against Hochul's goal of increasing the number of available homes to rent. Matt Druin is a landlord in Rochester. He owns several rental units for low-income people and is a member of the Rochester Housing Coalition, made up of private owners, property managers, and developers. He says the measure reflects a disconnect between the lives of the tenants and the realities of the costs of owning and maintaining affordable housing. He says the requirement that landlords must justify a rent increase of more than 3 percent would be de facto rent control and could lead to more substandard 
standard housing and landlords leaving the business altogether. Where this has deleterious effects is on housing choices for low-income people, because I've already seen it post-pandemic, is that responsible housing providers that have provided naturally occurring affordable housing are leaving the space. They're dumping their properties. And now out of state and out of country um, investors are buying up these properties. And he says sometimes there are just unruly tenants that are disruptive to other tenants in a building and a landlord needs to evict them or decide not to renew their lease. He says good cause evictions would limit that. Druin says any new measures to protect tenants also need to take into account the role landlords play in providing low-income housing and the financial risks involved. He says he would support a measure that also helps landlords deal with tenants who don't pay back rent or damage a unit. Low-income housing needs to be de-risked for uh, providers of uh, housing for low-income people, meaning if they do their job, and they do their job to the specification of whatever we set out to be, um, as a, you know, from a policy standpoint, that they should be guaranteed to be paid. Droon says he believes that access to decent housing is a human right, but he says the state's affordable housing system is broken and approving the good cause eviction measure won't fix it. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. In sports, the Buffalo Sabres are home tonight against the Dallas Stars as they look to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, Jim Beheim will not be back at Syracuse next year after 47 years on the job. The university announced that he will be departing, and longtime assistant and former player Adrian Autry will take over as head coach. A few weeks back, the production at Roadless Traveled Theater on Main Street was not on stage but in the lobby, where contractors were trying to finish up work on the theater's new lobby and lounge area. Executive Director Scott Barron was trying to stay out of the way. Yeah, you know, doing a project this is always a challenge when you're working with uh, a very specific deadline. The project also represents a significant investment, some of which was covered by a grant through Erie County. And with it, high expectations for what it all might mean. And now, and then after the show, we're hoping that that provides a space then for people to talk about the work, you know, and and talk about their experience from the show and commune with other people. Wouldn't that be nice in our technological age? The renovation also comes as theaters work themselves away from the reality of COVID-19. That brought several productions to a halt and limited attendance. I would not say it's fully back. Adam Yellen. Director of Performing Arts at the Jewish Community Center, home to the Jewish Repertory Theater. I think people's habits have changed so much due to the pandemic that just getting people to, to take a night and come out and come out to the theater is, is more difficult than ever. From Broadway to Buffalo, lagging theater attendance is a significant problem, one that many have not and perhaps will not overcome. In the coming days, we'll be hearing from local theater operators about COVID's impact, how it's affecting their long-term outlook, and how they're battling back. Hi, how are you doing? Are you here with Chris? Yes, I am. Come on through. I'm Jay. For one perspective, we walked down Main Street to the Alleyway Theater for a conversation with Executive Artistic Director Chris Handley. I was talking to a writer the other day who was talking about the gravitational pull of the couch. <laughs> which I love, right? And I think that that's our job is to fight that. And how do we keep, how do we fight this? Netflix, Hulu, streaming services are all becoming competitors for the local theater dollar. And the way that we have to do it is prove to you and create something for you that is that you can't get at home. 
So what about the people who are coming to the theater? For a taste, we went back to Road Less Traveled for the second night of their current production, The Thin Place. It was also the second night for their new expanded lobby and lounge area. Think about the bar. The bar looks fantastic. Everything tastes great so far. <laughs> I've had a couple samplings already, so that's good. Excellent. Hi, excuse me. Yeah. I work at WBFO, and I, I wanted to just uh, get a, a few questions if you guys are I recognize your voice instantaneously. Holy crap, yeah, you have the best voice on radio. <laughs> Keep talking. While everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves, most of the gathering also seemed to have an attachment to the production of the theater. But there were some outliers. We spoke with Kyle, originally from Buffalo. He manages a theater now in Arkansas, so he's well aware of the stress COVID has placed on theater audiences and their shifting at-home habits. The accessibility to entertainment, like again, it's like streaming services like Netflix, the ability to watch and take in entertainment has changed, and COVID has changed that. But there's still something special and I'd say intimate about being in a live audience and having that empathetic reaction with the audience around you that really makes theater a, still a good, really good place to go and experience with other people and not just at home by yourself. And then for one final word, we came across an authoritative voice. Erie County Health Commissioner Dr. Gail Burstein was enjoying a post-production snack in the lounge with her friend Edie. There's safe ways to view theater. I mean, I was wearing my mask the entire time in the theater. It was really comfortable, enjoyed the theater, enjoyed the shows, great acting. I was really happy to be out supporting theater. So with all of those at-home entertainment options, who will support local theater? In the coming days, we'll talk with local theater operators about how they made it through COVID and how they plan to tackle the future. For WBFO, I'm Jay Moran. Be sure to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, by all means, leave a review, too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team is made possible by members. Thanks for listening.